you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Darkmyths.org and the Opulence Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast. Featuring your host, Rob Clark. Where research comes to shine. And this come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. All the people was uh, uh, going on, and the firing was going. And people was taking pictures of us coming over this way. Hell, it was all photographers. People hollering, are they the one that done it? Are they the one that done it? We had nothing to do with it, and I'm telling you the God's an honest truth. We had nothing to do with it. I could say, we was booked, and I went in front of the jury, and we got six days for vagrancy, vagrancy and turned loose. We went over to the railroad yard, we was going to Fort Worth. And I seen a guy in a rail, before we went to the railroad yard, sirens and everything was going on. But like I said, I had nothing to do with it. It don't bother me whether they believe me or not. If they want to think I did it, that's up to the individual. Because we never had nothing to do with it. Maybe some people's enter were dead now. Some passed away. Maybe that's why they open on them up now. A little out of time. Maybe somebody was involved and done passed away. But like I say, the tramps had nothing to do with it. Oh yeah. Ho, 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 hoes. What's up, everybody? This is your boy Rob Clark. This is the Lone Gummit Podcast. And yes back with a merry friggin christmas happy holidays episode for my people now today we're going to be talking a little bit about the tramps now you might be saying well rob you already did an episode on the tramps yeah but i didn't really do a lot of research most of it is what i already knew so i decided after some discussion uh, in a facebook group with a rather hard-headed individual that I would revisit this for a lot of people because you know I thought all this got squashed 25 years ago I thought we got the police reports about who these tramps actually were 25 years ago now I know of course there's going to be some people who just love to believe in stories like Chauncey Holt stories, like Charles Harrelson stories, like Fred Christman stories, like Frank Sturgis stories, like E. Howard Hunt stories. Even when there's zero evidence to back up their stories. Now with the three tramps, we have pictures of them, seven of them to be exact taken that day in Dealey Plaza as they're being paraded across and being taken over to be dropped off to Captain Will Fritz. Now, you know, the three individuals were identified as Harold Doyle, who was the, I guess, the short, dark-haired tramp in front, John Jedney, who was the tall tramp, and Gus Abrams starring as the old tramp. Now, these individuals have been misidentified over the years. Um, 
They were first brought to the attention of the world by Jim Garrison on The Tonight Show when he showed a picture of them. And he was like, who are these guys? Why were we not told about them? Well, that's a good question, Jim. Um, they knew who the guys were, but they were inconsequential to the you know, sequence of events that day. There was plenty of people arrested that day. We don't know the identities of all of them. Um, you know, so... But, you know, we they, their affidavits, or not their affidavits, but their arrest reports were found uh, in the Dallas police files in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Now, some would even go as far to say that a lot of these false tramp confessions were promulgated by none other than Oliver Stone to generate interest for his movie that was going to be coming out on JFK. And if you go back in time, you know, you had a lot of these people coming out around this time. You know, you remember the whole uh, Ricky White fiasco, uh, James Files, Chauncey Holt, all these people were coming out of the woodwork around the same time in the early 90s. And, you know, we have Oliver Stone's movie coming out. You know, if he was behind, uh, you know, some of this, it's brilliant propaganda to generate interest in the assassination again in his movie. Um, you know, we also have people who wrote books about these guys, about identifying these guys. The first of which was uh, Coup d'Etat in America by A.J. Weberman and Michael Canfield back in the 70s, where they identified them as E. Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis. Um, you know, it's just ridiculous. We have so many photos of, of Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis to compare to these tramp photos, and it's just blatantly ridiculous um, to even suppose that these were the guys. Anybody with two pair of eyes in their head and a brain can quite clearly see this is not Frank Sturgis and this is not E. Howard Hunt. Um, you know, just, just sorry, it's just not. Um, you know, and then we have this fiasco, the Chauncey Holt fiasco, let's call it. Now, when Holt came forward, he made a lot of claims, including being the old tramp. Uh, he also claimed to have printed Oswald's Alec Heidel identification card, his Social Security card, his Fair Play for Cuba committee flyers. Um, being in New Orleans as Oswald was handing out flyers, um, creating Secret Service identification badges to hand out to all the players on the no. Anybody wants a pin? Here you go. Here you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had missed being in Dealey Plaza that day um, at the time of the assassination behind the Texas School Book Depository. He claims Charles Harrelson was behind the picket fence shooting. Doesn't know what the hell Richard Montoya or AKA Charles Rogers was doing. He claimed to be driving the uh, old money station wagon with the Barry Goldwater sticker on it that, <clears throat> excuse me, Lee Bowers saw that day so he, he he's made a lot of claims a lot of them um and you know the one thing the guy told me he's like ah oh, you know when i'm arguing with him about chauncey holding these tramps well have you seen lois gibson's presentation online and admittedly i had um but it's been a while so before I recorded this, I went back and I watched the entire 34 minutes, agonizing 40, 34 minutes, <clears throat> of this presentation again. And, again, not convinced, um, in the least, to be honest with you. Um, just not. You know, I have two eyes, I have a brain. I can see, I can compare, I can look, and I can look at here, and I can look there, and I can see that these aren't the people. You know, and we have pictures of the 
so-called, well, not so-called, but of the tramps. You know, now granted, they're probably 30 years older than they were in 1963. But nonetheless, you know, the, the voice you heard at the beginning of the show was one of them, Harold Doyle. Um, we have photos of Gus Abrams. We have photos of John Jedney. But what the hell do I know, right? Um, you know, I mean, some people are going to believe so-called experts. Some people are going to believe in people with stories. Some people are going to believe whatever they hear. And they promulgate it. And here we are, 54 years later, 25 years later from this whole fiasco in Dallas um, at the ASK conference, and people are still trying to put forth the Chauncey Holt or Charles Harrelson theory online today. It's insane to me. So I decided, you know what, yeah, I did, a, I did an episode on the trans before, but you know what, I'm going to definitely do some more digging there's got to be some more out here on these guys so i did i started back at the beginning and what we're going to touch on here first and we're going to hear from some people who were actually there at the ass conference firsthand now i wasn't there and brian you weren't there um so let's get a little first-hand information from somebody who actually was there. Now, the individual we're going to be talking about first is named David Roan. He's a researcher. He's wrote a book. Um, he's a researcher. Um, you know, I think he was, to his detriment, part of the whole Oswald uh, Innocence campaign there for a while. I think he since came to his senses, though, and uh, decided to jump ship. Um <clears throat> So, he, uh, on November 16th in 1991, he decided, fresh off the heels of his time at the conference, and I mean within a day. So, his recollections should be fairly accurate. Um, he decided to write his old buddy, Harold Weisberg, a letter, and describe to Harold, who didn't have the benefit of being there, exactly what in the Sam hell was going on at this conference. Okay. Now, first of all, Chauncey Holt was uh, kind of identified as a mystery guest who was going to show up uh, and actually be there in person and tell his story to the people. But guess what? He no-showed him because supposedly they couldn't get enough security for him so he'd be there safely. I mean, come on, right? You know, you're going to be in a book. You're going to go on television, do interviews. But uh, there's not enough security to go to this big nerd conference in Dallas. Okay. Whatever, Chauncey. So, let's see what David has to say about the three trans presentation. Now, of course, of course there's a book. Of course there's a book to be written about this. Of course. And the people that wrote it are John Craig and Philip Rogers. They wrote the, the book, The Men on the Grassy Knoll. Now, apparently, this guy, Philip Rogers, was already interested or writing a book on this guy named Charles Rogers. Now, Charles Rogers was supposedly <laughs> wanted for murder in Houston for in 1967 for killing his aged parents and chopping them up and storing them in the refrigerator. A seismologist with Shell of Canada, he had a shortwave broadcasting radio in the attic, a linguist, member of the CIA, Civil Air Patrol in the 50s, CIA active, and he had a post office box under assumed names. Terribly bright, born in 21, the short, dark-haired tramp. Okay, so this is who we're talking about here. <clears throat> the man identified by alias by Chauncey Holt. Now, to bolster their claims for their book, they approached Houston Police Department forensic artist Lois Davis to compare 
known photos of the tramps and known photos of Charles Harrelson, Charles Rogers, and Chauncey Hope. And this was the result at the Ants Conference. Now, according to David Roan, and I just screwed her name up. It's Lois Gibson, not Lois Davis. Sorry. Sorry, Lois. Okay. Now, Gibson took over the mic after the ramble by Craig and began to show how the tramps looked like the photographs of the three. She compared chins, cheekbones, hairlines, jaws, and so on. Her language included phrases such as big old ears and sticking out jaw. <laughs> Sorry. No sophisticated language was used. Absolutely no scientific or forensic material was referred to. No notice of the House Select Committee and the Rockefeller Didos with the photograph. She worked in a complete isolated manner, immune to all that had transpired before her. No critical references to time and place and details of the arrest of the tramps appeared. It was just as she it was just as she, the expert, told how to solve the crime of the century through her many years of success as a HPD forensic artist. Midway through, I got tired and extremely uncomfortable with the insanity and went to the bathroom. I came back at the question period where the nuts ground them up. Steve Jaffe said it was the most irresponsible two hours he had ever heard and then sat down next to Mark Lane, which is uh, enough to drive a Baptist to join the Catholic Church. Whatever the hell that means. I guess there's no love for old Mark Lane. To the question of why could both the old man and the dark one be seen as the same age when one looked to be in his youth and the other in his old age? Gibson blithely explained it by facial constructs. The analysis, of course, was flawed in the extreme with dubidity, the brother of Forst. I don't even know what the hell that means. The three repeatedly said they were just throwing this information out to the critics to follow up if they choose. No copyright or patent or exclusivity was claimed, and afterwards the audience was stunned. I think even the nuts were shell-shocked by the blatant irresponsibility and amateur devices of the presentation. Everyone felt let down, except, of course, a few who walked away with uh, notebook, notebooks and smiles of secret insight gained. And we all know there's people, they still exist today. They think they have this secret knowledge and... They still promulgate it. How Verb stuck it out. He's a tough son of a bitch. I, though, I would go out of my mind. Later, Hal and I had coffee in the restaurant. Two dollars a cup and talked to one in the morning about some serious things. He brought me back to life with his conversation in high order of insight and understanding. If there ever was an indication of incompetency of focus of fools unloosed in the world it is to be found in this session of the Dallas group insanity now that is a scathing scathing review of what transpired at the ask conference that year now let's check out another letter written to my old buddy Edgar Tetro how you doing Edgar how is it up there in Boston Edgar Go park the car by the bar. From researcher Bill Cheslock. R.E. Houston Police Department's investigation of three tramps in Dealey Plaza. Okay. There's a whole bunch of recap stuff. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So let's get to this here. Let's get to the good part. Okay. The panel at this point relayed Holt's account of his and the other tramps' activities in Dealey Plaza on November 22, 1963. These are just more claims here I'm going to be reading to you. First of all, he admitted that he it was he who prepared the phony Secret Service credentials for the bogus men around the grassy knoll while he was in Los Angeles. While in Dealey Plaza, one of the tramps came up to him and said, Hi, I'm Chuck Harrelson, prior to the assassination. Holt said that he was driving around the parking lot in back of the Noah in a station wagon from Arizona. Now, a lot of this I've already told you. Uh, with two other men known as Nicoletti and Nocera. Gee, where have I heard that name Nicoletti from before? 
Holt testified that he did not see the actual assassination, but heard the shots from the rear of the TSBD. His instructions were to meet the other tramps in the railroad yard and hide in the ninth boxcar from the engine. This they did, but were soon caught by police and were questioned outside of the boxcar. Holt, who had a nosebleed, who the fuck has a nosebleed, and stuffed cleanup, Kleenex up his nostrils to stop the bleeding, testified that he and the other two tramps presented phony tax and treasury department credentials, which Holt said he made with he made up with the bogus Secret Service credentials to the police officers. Holt added that he told the police that they were working undercover. The Dallas police officers, relaxing at this point, told the tramps that they still had to bring them in anyway for questioning. This could explain why the police officers didn't cuff them and permitted them to walk in a casual manner to the police building. Once inside, the police officers, according to Holt, called in Will Fritz and FBI agent Gordon Shanklin. Again, Holt and the two other tramps showed their phony credentials, and according to Holt, Shanklin let them go without any further procedures. Finally, Holt said, now here's the, where the doozy comes in, Holt said that he was driven to Redbird Airport by Jim Braden. None other than Jim Braden, Eugene Hale Braden. And his final destination found him in South America. So apparently after the assassination, he was driven to the Redbird Airport by Jim Braden, where he proceeded to fly to South America. At this point, there was a question and answer period. I went to the microphone and I asked the panel three questions. How did Holt know the Secret Service's color of the day for credentials? Answer, he couldn't find out until the very last minute. Hmm. How did Holt get into the rear parking area if it was secured for two hours before the assassination? Answer, Holt told them that he was given a key to get in the parking area. Number three, did Holt tell them what they were to do if they weren't caught in the boxcar by police answer still go to Redbird Airport Chauncey Holt reiterates the statement that he was behind the TSBD when shots were fired at the presidential limousine he also submitted in his testimony that he truly believes that he was put out back in the rail yard to be used as a potential patsy now if it didn't work out with Oswald for one reason or another more claims and claims and claims okay now let's eliminate one of these claims right out right right now let's hear from the man himself let's hear from Charles Harrelson now Charles Harrelson did admit to murdering President Kennedy it just so happened he was holed up in a standoff with police and high on a shit ton of cocaine at the time and was telling them pretty much anything to elongate uh, his uh, life at this point. But I'll let you hear it from uh, I'll let you hear it from Charles Harrelson himself. Here you go. You said you'd killed President Kennedy. At the same time I said I had killed the judge, I said I had killed Kennedy, uh, which might give you an idea as to the state of my mind at the time. But um, that was in an effort to elongate my life. This judge was killed. I believe I, I told you earlier I didn't know who killed him, and I don't specifically know who killed him, but I believe I know who's responsible for his death. I believe the same people who killed Lee Chagra killed the judge. I believe that corrupt um, members um, of an agency of the federal government killed the judge. The I DEA? Believe, the DEA. I believe they killed him. Well, do you believe Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy? We'll get back to that. Alone? without any aid from a rogue um, agency of the U.S. government, or at least a, a portion of that agency. I believe you're very naive if you do. I believe that Judge Wood, um, though he was trying to 
Neil Lee Chagra, according to reports. I believe he also understood somewhere along the line that he was dealing not with Lee Chagra, but that the drugs smuggled into this country and distributed in this country are furnished primarily by the United States government, paid for with taxpayers' money. And there you have Charles Harrelson in his own words. Where, yeah, he might have said it, but he wasn't in the right state of mind. And he actually never, ever admitted to it again over the rest of his 25 years of life behind bars. He also did not admit to knowing anything about a Charles Rogers, Chauncey Holt, none of that stuff in Dallas. None of that. He didn't. And, and look, there's people out there who have interviewed Charles Harrelson since he made his statement, since he was incarcerated. People that have written him letters, you can go on the education forum and find people that have wrote Charles Harrelson letters trying to get him to admit, uh, you know, to having some involvement in the assassination of Kennedy. And he wouldn't do it. He didn't do it. He blankly stated, you know, look, thanks for your interest and everything, but, you know, it wasn't me. I had nothing to do with it. So, you know, this is this is what we have to deal with here. Nobody is corroborating Chauncey Holt's story. Now, since we're back in the time machine, we're still back in 1991. Here we go. Boy, Harold Weisberg must have had, like, the greatest time ever opening his mailbox, you know. It was probably just full of letters from researchers telling him all kinds of shit. Okay. This one is from Dave Perry. Harold Weisberg. Dear Harold. Well, as you can see from the enclosed, they are at it again. When Beverly Oliver didn't work, then they went to Nicoletti. That didn't pass muster. So up pops Roscoe White. That didn't move anyone. So now we have Ask. A couple of things to note. I'm sure you know A&E Entertainment will show the expanded version of The Men Who Killed Kennedy in five parts starting September 27th. Ask is showing the old version at the seminar, in quotes. <laughs> and of course, Central has sent letters to Larry Howard et al. telling him to stop showing the thing, but that hasn't helped. The fine print says all speakers subject to change. Elmer Gantry would be proud. And there's a special mystery guest, one Chauncey Holt, who is claimed to be the hunt tramp. Have you ever heard of this guy? In the name of Roscoe White, why do they keep this stuff up? Keep in touch, Dave. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, so you go back at the time and you can see a lot of these respected researchers are calling bullshit on this stupid announcement, this stupid conference before it even happens. You know, you got to understand, if you go back and you watch the fiasco, the Ricky White fiasco, you know, the James Files fiasco, you know, they tried to push her, Bev, uh, Beverly Oliver, um, you know, they just keep trying with these people. You know, it's like, okay, we got private detective here is behind, you know, finding this guy who came forward and this died and then stat and this that. <laughs> you know, one thing said, you know, that, that, that Chauncey Holt was working with the Houston Police Department. Okay, you have a guy walking in your police department admitting, admitting to being part of the murder conspiracy of a president of the United States. And you want to write a book about him instead of book his ass and arrest him and charge him with it. This shows you even how much the police department had faith in what Chauncey Holt was saying and could prove. It's just a good story. That's all it is. <sighs> also, pointed out by Scott Van Winsberg in the publication The Fourth Decade in March of 1997. 
Holt claimed to be the money man for Meyer Lansky. Despite the fact that at least three of Meyer Lansky's biographers, people that wrote stories about Meyer Lansky's life and, you know, everything that he was into, they all somehow managed to miss or mention Chauncey Holt. Imagine that. More of a story that cannot be corroborated. Now, let's stay in our little time machine back in the early 90s and let's go uh, read from another correspondence from Dave Perry to Harold Weisberg after the ASS conference. He was, uh, let's just say, motivated to. debunked his story even back then now in the section of his pay of, of his letter to uh, Harold Weisberg we're going to be reading here from a section of Holt versus the evidence from talking with seven symposium participants I discovered the Holt story didn't hold up well and Rogers and Craig had difficulty getting the audience to respond positive, positively to their so called proof Once again, we have corroboration that this whole presentation at the ASS conference in 1991 was a freaking shit show, okay, from everyone in attendance, mostly. Uh, They brought along forensic expert, in quotes, Lois Gibson. I was told it took about 10 minutes to reel off Gibson's impressive credentials. Gibson was featured in an article, I Just Want to Catch Crooks. From May 1990, Reader's Digest. The story reveals her credentials are somewhat less impressive. She has only a 40% success rate using the FBI facial identification catalog. She was taught to use the book at the FBI Academy at Quantico, uh, Virginia in late 84 or early 85. I am told any competent portrait artist could achieve similar results using the catalog. I will require more than Gibson's statements to verify the Holt proclamations. Though the press kit, Holt made certain claims that he prepared the fair play for Cuba handouts for Oswald, which, if you're a researcher, you know the truth that the handouts were prepared for Oswald using the alias Osborne by the Jones Printing Company in New Orleans, and Oswald paid $9.89 for them on June the 4th, 1963. Maybe Chauncey should have done just a little bit more research. Hmm. Holt arrived 11-22-63 from Arizona in an Oldsmobile station wagon observed by Lee Bowers. That's the claim. Possibly, but maybe Holt merely read Bowers' testimony. Bowers saw that vehicle at 12.05 p.m. This would make it difficult for Holt to leave the parking lot, ditch the car, deliver the guns, deliver the fake identification. Oh, did I forget to mention that? Oh, yeah, Chauncey Holt stated that he brought the guns to use in the assassination that day, along with all his other claims. Deliver the fake identification um, and return to the pergola nearest the Texas School of Depository and run to the boxcar without any witnesses observing this event. Yeah. Bowers claimed he couldn't tell which state the station wagon was from because he couldn't see the license plate. However, he did see a gold order for president sticker on the bumper. It doesn't take much of a rocket scientist to link Barry Goldwater with the state of Arizona, which... Chauncey Holt claimed that he brought the car from. Three, the tramps were told to wear work clothes as if they were railroad employees. Wrong. Unless Frenchie was some kind of working supervisor, I mean, isn't he wearing a sport coat? Number four, Holt is the first credible person. Now look, uh, and we can go back to, 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 uh, uh, recollections of the tramps that day from the arresting officer said these guys stunk to high heaven and were dirtier than what they looked like in the pictures. 
like he said, the pictures don't even do him justice. Holt is the first credible person to ever come forward and say he was in Dealey Plaza and was a member of the conspiracy. Wrong. To refer to a self-described career criminal and master forger, in quotes, as a credible person borders upon the ridiculous. Once Holt found he was involved in something more serious than some kind of staged incident, it became his obligation to contact the authorities. Rogers and Craig concluded their appearance at the symposium was an honor and a civic duty. Honor and civic duty would be better served by turning Holt into the authorities as an accessory in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. They chose not to do so. I think they joined the ranks of many others who create a sensation, obtain exposure in the press, make a few dollars, and leave the research community holding the bag. Personally, I wonder when the book will be out. Hmm. Truer words never spoken, my friend. Some additional notes. Um, the Texas Secretary of State Office informs me that John Craig and Company forfeited their incorporation papers on one January 9th, 1989 for non-payment of taxes. So, Craig lost his company. He didn't pay his taxes. Seems like he's in a little bit of financial trouble here. And man, imagine meeting somebody who claimed to be involved in the biggest murder in history. And he's going to write a book about it. But he didn't do it for the money. No, no, no. It was a civic duty. The Texas State Private Investigative Bureau shows John Craig is flagged as a status 40. This means that agency is on an insurance suspension. Okay. That means uh, that uh, he can't be acting as an investigator, at least in official capacity, and getting paid for it because he has no insurance. Because he probably didn't pay that either because he's broke. Maybe both bureaus have given me information on another John Craig, although I think not. I will be happy to supply my notes to any of you who wish to follow up on this aspect of the case. Now, here's where we get into the juicy bits, folks. If you thought that was good, this is the juicy bits. This is what absolutely cemented this whole thing for me. Okay. Perry goes on to say, I think the best source for information on the tramps is in Coup d'etat America. Um, 1975, here's some examples. The first search of the trains behind the Texas School Book Depository revealed little. Deputy Harkness shook down a long string of boxcars, but found nothing. A clear all was sounded, and the trains were allowed to leave. Later, the police decided to shake down a northbound freight. Bowers pulled the freight up opposite his tower, the car the tramps were pulled from was originally located behind where? The Postal Annex building. Now, hold on a second. Hold on. Wait a minute. Let me read that again. The car the tramps were pulled from was originally located behind the Postal Annex building. Verified by Harold Weisberg on November 20th, 1991. The tramps were pulled from the train after 2 p.m. Bowers referred to the tramps as winos. The most frightened winos I've ever seen in my life since there were possibly 50 policemen with shotguns surrounding them. It is strange that some investigators verify their theories that the involvement of the three tramps, now the Holt story, is accurate by using Bowers' statements. The same group failed to explain why Bowers always identified the tramps as tramps or winos. <coughs> Bass and Wise, that's who you see in the pictures walking these guys over, uh, turned the men over to Sheriff Harold Elkins. Elkins turned them over to Captain Will Fritz, and Fritz believed uh, he turned them over to the FBI. Canfield concluded from the gist of Fritz's statement, it seems as if the FBI questioned the tramps, cleared them, and let them go. But that's not the case. Um, what actually happened is, as we learned from Harold Doyle, and we have the actual arrest reports of the three tramps, they were not released from jail until the 26th of November, 
which will be four days after they were arrested. They were charged with vagrancy and given six days in jail, which they, I think they served half of it and they let them out. So there you go. They probably would have been in jail, you know, one day before they got to see the judge and then they were charged, booked and charged, you know, with vagrancy. And, uh, they were out in three days. You know, for time served, being good, whatever you want to have it. That's exactly what Harold Doyle said. That's exactly what the police reports say. And, uh, you know, the FBI might have cleared him, but Fritz was probably an asshole. And he was like, you know what? You know, let's just charge these guys with vagrancy and move on. You know, they weren't going to let them go because, you know, look, the president had just been murdered. If there was a slim chance, a possibility that these guys could have been involved in some way, but he just didn't know it yet. And he wanted to hang on to him for a couple of days. The easiest thing to do is charge him with a vagrancy and just hold him. You know, it wasn't too long after that, that they found their man. They didn't need these guys anymore. You know, let him sit in prison for, let him sit in jail for three days and turn him loose. When I read that, that, you know, these guys were <laughs> on a train behind the postal annex. Now, for those of you not familiar with exactly where in the Sam Hill the Postal Annex building is, it's actually the mirror image building of the School Book Depository in Dealey Plaza. As you know, if you've never seen Dealey Plaza, it's set up basically where you know as a mirror image of of the other side. Um, you know, there's it's three three streets running under an overpass. You know, and the two outside streets kind of curve back in towards the middle as they go under the overpass and both sides have pergolas both sides have knolls you know and the overpass runs over and the postal annex building is located on the corner over there on the opposite corner of the texas school book depository like on the opposite side and uh that's where the tramps were they weren't a boxcar behind that okay so the and as Harold Doyle said, we didn't have nothing to do with it. You know, these guys were probably laid up on this boxcar behind the Postal Annex building. Probably didn't have a clue the president was even in town or what the hell was going on. You know, it's just, I don't know. Um, one final point, he says, some attenders were disappointed at what they felt was improper focus of press coverage on the radical aspects of the conference. If you complained about being identified by the media as buffs, no matter, it was a resounding success for ASK and the JFK Assassination Information Center. They grossed about $30,000 for the conference. Hmm. They probably made more than Craig and Phillips did in writing their book. Or Rogers, I'm sorry. Craig and Philip Rogers did in writing their book. Uh, so, you know, there you have it, folks. I mean, I don't know... I don't know what else to say about it other than the whole thing is a fiasco. It was a shit show from the beginning. Lies, horse shit, and outrageous stories from the get-go that no, and let me repeat myself, no respected researcher believes. So if you want to be one of the loons out in Looney Tune land who thinks that you have this secret knowledge and you have your little notebook and you think you know something that nobody else knows, before you start running your mouth, just do a fraction of a little bit of research and you can find all the answers you've ever looked for. Because you know what? You know, Holt claims to be affiliated with the CIA, this, that, and the other. He claims to have a association with with Twombly, Philip Twombly, and then he was this. And, you know, I don't know. Oh, here's what I do know. That his name, nor any of his aliases, who just happened to be the same as David Adley Phillip, um, appear on the Mary Farrell site. If you put in Chauncey Holt's name... Guess what comes up? Nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. Zero, Jim Fetzer.
zero. So, now, and there's another one who promulgates the whole Chauncey Holt story. It's all crap. It's all crap. And you want to know how great Lewis Gibson is, folks? Let me put it to you like this. Okay? I did a little digging on Miss Lewis Gibson, too. Now, she's a very attractive lady. Let me first just say that. Get that out of the way. Um, she seems like a very nice person. You know, I, I don't know her personally, never met her personally, um, you know, uh, um, she is very well endowed, um, and I mean very well endowed, um, <laughs> uh, some of her claims to fame, let's check her out. She holds the Guinness World Record for most identifications by a forensic artist. Hmm. Not bad. She must have gotten better over the years uh, than her 40% back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Of course, computers do make things a hell of a lot easier. But I digress. Uh, she drew the first and last forensic sketches shown on America's Most Wanted. Hmm. Both sketches helped solve those cases. Okay. You know, kudos to her. Right on. Uh, she became a forensic artist due to being assaulted and nearly killed when she was 21 living in, Los, living in Los Angeles. She worked as a model and for a season as a dancer on the real Don Steele show, filmed at the Fox Studios in Hollywood. Bachelor of Fine Arts and Honors degree at University of Texas, Austin. Taught at Northwestern University Center for Public Safety. And as of 2012, she had helped Houston Police Department solve 1,266 crimes by identifying criminals and victims. She wrote a true crime book called Faces of Evil with writer Deanie Francis Mills and wrote a textbook, Forensic Art Essentials. Okay. In 2007... A man by the name of Glenn McDuffie claimed, laid claim to being the man kissing the woman in Alfred Eisenstadt's photo VJ Day in now not BJ Day in Times Square, VJ Day in Times Square. And he was supported by Lois Gibson's Gibson's forensic analysis compared with the Eisenstadt photographs with current day photographs of McDuffie analyzing key facial features. Identical on both sets, she measured his ears, face bones, hairline, wrist, knuckles, hand, compared those to the enlargements of the Einstein picture. I could just tell in general that, yes, it's him, but I wanted to be able to tell other people, so I replicated the pose. Now, if you, anybody out there is not familiar with the VJ Day in Times Square picture, it's, you know, after World War II's ended and, you know, a lot of the sailors are coming home and the servicemen are coming home. And these guys are walking down Times Square, and they're just grabbing chicks and kissing the shit out of them. I mean, not even asking. Be like, hey, yo, bitch, I'm kissing you right now. Like, just grab them and just kiss them. Kiss them. Like, hard, with tongue. Bend them over and, you know, dip them and, like, really kiss them good. And, you know, it's actually classified as sexual assault now, but... I guess back then, uh, not so much. But anyway, if you go look at the picture of VJ Day in Times Square, it's a picture of a sailor in a black outfit kissing a woman in what appears to be a white nurse's outfit or something of that nature. It's a little white dress, white hose, white shoes. And he is laying in order, boy. And I mean good. The thing is, you can't see the guy's face. All you can see is the side, a part of the side of his head, an ear, and a hand. What looks like a dirty hand. So, this is what she had to work with. So how you can say a man Okay. 
70 years later. Now you got to age progress this photo of a piece of the side of a guy's head. 70 years. You have to age progress that. 70 years to match a living 90 some year old guy. Yeah, I don't put much faith in her uh, uh, opinion. And look, this guy Glenn McDuffie is not is not even considered a top candidate to be this guy. Okay, if you look at the Wikipedia on the identity of the kissers in the VJ VJ Day photograph, um, they couldn't even identify the right woman. And there's Look, numerous men have claimed to be the sailor, including Donald Bonsack, John Edmondson, Wallace Fowler, Bud Harding, Walker Irving, James Kearney, Marvin Kingsburg, Arthur Leisk, George Mendonca, Jack Russell, and Bill Swicegood. The issue regarding the identity of the kissers is no longer being is, lo- is no longer contended in a court of law. Now, George Mendonca and Greta Friedman, two of the folks who claimed to have been in the picture uh, got together they were in Newport Rhode Island and uh, <coughs> were on a little float together at the little in a little parade he says I had quite a few drinks that day and I considered her one of the troops she was a nurse in one of the four pictures that Eisenstadt took Mendoza claims that Rita is visible in the background behind the kissing couple George Mendoza filed a lawsuit against Time Incorporated in Rhode Island State Court in 1987 that he alleging that he was the sailor in the photograph that both time and life had violated his right of publicity by using the photograph without his permission. After time incorporated removed the case to federal court, Mendoza survived a motion to dismiss. Mendoza was identified by a team of volunteers from the Naval War College in 2005 as the kisser. His claim was based on matching his scars and tattoos to scars and tattoos in the photograph. They made their determination after much study, including photographic analysis by the Mitsubishi Electric Research Laboratories in Cambridge, Massachusetts, who were able to match scars and tattoos spotted by photograph experts, and the testimony of Richard Benson, a photograph analysis expert, professor of photographic studies, plus the former dean of the School of Arts at Yale University. So, in short, Lois, you got that one wrong. Moving right along. In 2014. Okay. Lois Gibson identified Billy the Kid as being the subject of a photo inherited by New Mexico educator Ray Jean D'Aragon. Now, this is the infamous Billy the Kid playing croquet uh, lithograph picture, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'll I'll put it nicely. She's one of the very, very few who says that uh, this was actually Billy the Kid. Now, we we do have a photo of Billy the Kid that we do know is authentic. Now, Billy the Kid was a a weird-looking dude. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like, he was just a weird-looking dude. Um, so, okay, let's get into this. Now, the croquet photo was purchased at a memorabilia shop in Fresno, California in 2012 for $2 by Randy Guijarro. In it are what appear to be Bonnie and members of the Regulators Regulators playing croquet. The photograph, known popularly as the croquet tintype, was examined by Old West history and photography experts to confirm its authenticity. Some, including Robert McCubbin and outlaw historian John Bossenecker, informed the owner as early as 2013 that the photograph does not show William Bonnie. Now, they're taking a detail 
from a very large photograph uh, to compare it to a very small one area of the actual photo and trust me <coughs> they these experts you know because I think the one Billy the Kid photo if I can find it um, sold for a lot of money um, let's see yeah it's called the Diedrich Farrow type and here it is the original plate was bought at auction for 2.3 billion or 2.3 million by businessman William Koch the Co or William Koch I guess the Koch brothers I guess bought it one of them now this was because it had Providence and it could be proven that it was William Bonney this other one playing croquet has got nothing no providence no story no nothing no I mean it doesn't really look like the guy but Lois Gibson thinks though but her analysis is not good enough for the auction houses or to be deemed authentic so hmm, there's another big fat failure for Lois Gibson next <laughs> Gibbs, uh 2017 you know she's still at it folks she's still at it Gibson's identification of Jesse James sitting next to the coward Robert Ford was confirmed when owner Jesse James descendant Sandra Mills tintype of the infamous outlaws sold at Burley's auction house for $35,000. Now this one was all over the place, all over the news. And her method for identifying this guy. Now look, <laughs> you heard what I said. Billy the Kid, the tintype, sold for $2.3 million. Okay, after Lois Gibson's identification of Jesse James sitting next to the coward Robert Ford, after she confirmed it, the Sandra Mills tintype sold at Burley's auction house for a whopping $35,000. Now, that doesn't sound like a very resounding uh, price. For a supposedly authentic photograph. Now, her method of uh, identifying this photograph was, uh, I guess, it's done by you know prominent uh, photographic expert analysis. You know, guys like Richard Hook, guys like uh, <laughs> guys like Larry Rivera. You know, he's he oh, he loves this method of using overlays. You know, he, uh, you gotta use the overlays, you know, it just matches right up. Um, uh, mm, um, mm, yeah, it just, mm, um, matches right up there. You know, this is the failed method of identification, you know, that, that Weberman and Canfield tried in 1975 using overlays. Overlays are not a proven scientific way to identify positively one way or the other an individual in a photograph sorry it's just not but anyway as time runs out on me here folks I hope I've at least made you think today a little bit you know I don't want to come off as sounding condescending but I'm really freaking tired of hearing this crap Still, to this day, 25 years later, these guys were on it like a hornet back in the early 90s, blasting holes in this shit before they even got out of the starting gate. But nobody listened. Nobody learned. This is why we have rubes in Facebook groups, supposedly very prestigious research Facebook groups, sitting here arguing with me about the identity of the trans when we know we have documents we have actual photos of the actual guys. And then, you know, you want to throw up names to me that have zero proof about what they're saying of any of their allegations. 
when I, we can sit here and we can prove that 90% of their allegations are false, blatantly false lies. Come on, Chauncey Hall, you printed the Fair Play for Cuba Committee flyers? Bullshit. We know exactly where, where Oswald got him. We do. You know, and all the other supposed things that Chauncey Holt did. I mean, come on now. Come on now. He read a little bit. Somebody fed him some information. He didn't show to the conference because he didn't want to be there in front of all these researchers that were going to bust his balls wide open. Plain and simple. He does some softball interviews from Wim Dankbar, whoever the hell did him. Jim Fetzer, you know, these guys lap this shit up like, oh, yeah, I don't believe anything you say. Here's another softball. Knock this one out of the park. I'm just, I'm just tired of hearing it, and I hope you are too. And if you know a big dummy that still believes this stuff, go ahead and send them this show and tell them to listen real good. Real good. With them big old ears and their stuck out jaw. Tell them, listen real good, folks. I mean, come on now, y'all. I got a 40% rate. Success rate. I'm just as good as anybody else. I can misidentify 10 times. I can misidentify photo, people in photos to photo to photo. I mean, come on. Wake up, people. Wake up. If, 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 if her identification was any good... They could have charged this guy in a heartbeat. And they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. Because they have zero proof that he is who he says he is. And he did what he says he did. End of discussion. Charles Harrelson never admitted to it. I don't know where in the hell Charles Rogers is. I guess he's sitting on a beach in Argentina going, fuck you, motherfuckers. (laughs) You'll never catch me. You know? I mean, I don't get it. So, on that note, folks... I'm going to leave you with the words of one of my favorite actors. His name's Woody. Here you go, Woody. When you were seven years old, your father went off to prison, convicted of murder. Tell me... How you feel today? What the story is today? Well, he is in prison right now for uh, the killing of a federal judge. Um, I think that it was not a fair uh, trial, especially because the guy who supposedly hired my father to commit the murder was uh, later acquitted on a retrial. Woody, do you think your father is innocent of that Second murder? That's what I've heard. I'm not saying my father's a saint, but I think he's innocent of that. Yeah. Are you trying to have the case opened up, trying to have it investigated, trying to set him free? Well, um, let's put it this way. I haven't given up hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said once that you thought that your father was a CIA operative. Yes? Yeah, he was. How do you know? What proof? Uh, I shouldn't get into this right now. This is where we're going to get into trouble. But this is something that you feel and that you're trying to work on? Oh, I know it's true, but, uh, you know. Does it make a difference? That he was trained by the CIA? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it makes a difference. There's some bitches in the can beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. Your big old ears. This is your boy with his big old ears and his stuck out jaw. Say until next time, folks. Peace and check and grace.
right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.